God, I love the Olympics, you know? I was, I, I, but I'm pretty sure the Winter Olympics is like 35% legit, like 65% made up things. Like, who really does that stuff? Now, I've been trying to talk Don into getting in shape and doing the two-man luge with me. So in honor, we're going to start wearing the luge suits every Sunday. I thought that would be a good look for us. Uh, but I'm going to be in the front because I want to steer that thing. So I was watching this stuff last night till like 1.30 because I'm just fascinated with these things. And I love this sort of time. It's really exciting. And so it's a fun time to uh, sort of engage in culture and, and watch the things that are unfolding. So I think it's an exciting time. And part of our story of Ruth is really about engaging in a culture that we're not necessarily accustomed to. And so we've been looking at this story over the past, well, really since the fall. We took a little break in the middle, but we've been looking at the story, and it's, it's somewhat foreign to us. I mean, there's like some of it that we get, but then kind of like the Olympics, there's that part of us that are just sort of fascinated with the things that go on that we didn't even know were really real things. And that's what's happening in Ruth. There's stuff that's unfolding there that we look at and we say, This is crazy. And so we've kind of been steeped in this picture of sort of cultural movements, but God's deep work. And we're actually wrapping up this sort of final movement. Oh, you want babies? John's got babies. He's rocking his arms. So John would like to have your children. And uh, that came out all incorrectly, too, by the way. So uh, he would like to take your children downstairs is a better way to phrase that sentence. Welcome to the Vine Community Church. We will be here forever. It's awesome right there. Oh, send your emails to Treb at, no, uh, we're glad you're here. Um, so all that to say, we're wrapping this picture up today and next Sunday as we kind of start chapter four and kind of close out this movement, really looking at the sort of gospel connotations and the gospel truth that is sort of steeped in this story. Now, I promised I wouldn't give these big, long recaps, and, and all the Ruth messages are up on the website, and you can go and listen to them, but I'm going to give you just a quick little kind of how we got here glimpse, all right? Because chapter one, we begin this story with sort of seeing the bitter providence of God, God's move, but it's sort of steeped in disappointment. We see that, that Naomi and her family are forced out of their land by famine. They, uh, Elimelech, the husband, and the sons, they leave Bethlehem and the whole area forced out by famine, and they, they go to this land called Moab, and the sons marry, and Naomi loses both her husband and her sons to death. She loses one of her daughters-in-law, and then she's sort of left with this despair, sort of bitter providence. But at the end of the chapter, we see this sort of kind of hope emerged. The famine's lifted and Ruth sticks with Naomi and and they decide to journey back to Bethlehem and as they do they realize that just maybe they're not as alone as they thought they were but there's this man named Boaz, this man of character and standing that sort of enters into the picture and he's he's part of their family and chapter one ends with a sort of glimmer of hope that just maybe God is doing something, right? That it's not just bitter, as, as Naomi said, you know, my life is bitter, God's hand is against me. And chapter one sort of ends in that. And chapter two is really filled with hope. It's sort of the hope movement of the story. You know, Ruth decides that she's going to go and try and provide for her and her mother-in-law, and she goes out and she finds this field, and it just happens to be the field of this guy named Boaz. God's hand of providence is working, and, and Boaz finds great favor uh, with, or Ruth finds great favor with Boaz and he, and he invites her to stay through the whole harvest and he gives a bunch of food to her and her mother-in-law and God is, is sort of at kind of moving here and chapter 2 ends with the promise that she can stay and work through the entire harvest and, and you get the sense that maybe something's happening between Boaz and Ruth I mean he's blessing her and she's kind of taken with him and this sort of love story begins to emerge in chapter 3 when we began the past couple of weeks 
we see something really begin to transpire between these two. Naomi realizes that something's happening, and she's got this new awakened hope that God is providing for them, and so she encourages Ruth to go and sort of pursue in a very vulnerable way an offer that we believe that, that Boaz has kind of made, and we talked about it last week in chapter 2 when we looked at it, that Boaz sort of has expressed his desire to enter into maybe marriage with her, and so this subtle way that, that Naomi encourages Ruth to go and engage that, she says kind of culturally in a kind of a weird thing, she says, when I want you to go to the threshing floor, and after Boaz has worked hard, and after they've, they've had a night of, of eating and drinking, and he goes to lay down, I want you to go and lay down at his feet, and I want you to uncover his feet and lay there, get all dressed up, and, and take a bath and all that kind of stuff and lay there and he'll tell you what to do. And we kind of looked at it and we're like, man, this is weird and crazy. And then last week we explored all the symbolism, the sort of marriage covenant and symbolism and what, what God had done for Israel. And so I encourage you if, you, if you are interested at all, it's kind of fascinating stuff. You can go back and take a listen. But, but, but Ruth does exactly that. She goes to Boaz. He's falling asleep at this sort of edge of this grain pile and she lays at his feet all bathed up and with her nice clothes on, which is probably a full-length kind of uh, dress with a hood. And so she lays at his feet and she uncovers his feet and he wakes up in the middle of the night and he says, who are you? And she says, she said, it's me, your servant, Ruth. And uh, she says, listen, take your, basically your cloak or your, your garment and cover me with it. And we talked about the symbolism coming out of Ezekiel and how this is really a, a vulnerable moment of saying, look, I want to enter into this sort of deep marriage covenant with you, right? We talked about how God had expressed that to Israel and all those kind of things. And Boaz looks at her and he says, look, I desire this too. I want to, I want to enter in that to you. I care for you. I want to be your protector and your provider, and you see this sort of moment of real, true, authentic, deep covering love emerge. But then Boaz kind of drops a bomb and the whole thing, and he says, but here's the problem. I'm, I'm, I am your kinsman redeemer, which means I have the right to basically buy you out of the position that you and your mother-in-law are in, but the problem is, is that I'm not the closest one. There's actually another guy in our family. We've explored all the family symbolism between kinsmen, redeemers, and all that kind of stuff, but she says, look, he says, there's actually someone closer than I am, and he actually has the right to marry you first. Now, this, we talked about the sort of devastating nature of this news. Like, if you've expressed yourself to somebody that you love saying, look, I love you, you are my whole life. Everything I am, I want to be wrapped up in you. I want to enter into this deepest, faithful marriage covenant with you. And that person looks at you and he says, yes, I want that too. In fact, I love you and I want to protect you and fight for you. And I want to live for you and I want to, to make this covenant with you. But there's a 90% chance you have to marry my cousin who you've never met. So sorry about that. But I mean, that's kind of what's happening. And then he looks at Ruth and he says, but I want you to stay here all night, right here at my feet, because I know that you venturing home in the middle of the night is dangerous, right? You're all dressed up and bathed, and so you're attractive, and, and, and don't do that. Stay here. And then before it was light, they got up and he sent Ruth home so that no one would have any way to say any kind of scandalous rumor about her that she had done this or had done that and protected her. And, and he gave her a bunch of uh, grain to take home to Naomi in a sort of really generous kind of way. And, and Ruth makes her way back home, and Naomi's waiting there, probably hadn't slept all night, and she says, what happened? And she tells her the whole story, and she says, man, Boaz is an amazing guy, and he will not rest until this matter is taken place. And Boaz basically had told Ruth, he said, listen, don't be afraid, I, I will do this, I will take care of this. So Ruth goes home, and her and Naomi patiently wait. And that's the end of chapter 3. And this morning, we're going to begin chapter 4, actually a big piece of chapter 4, and then next week we're going to wrap it all up. We're going to see how this matter kind of comes to fruition. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Ruth chapter 4. We're going to be in the first 12 or so verses there as we sort of explore the next kind of movement in the story. 
And it hits a, the sort of last piece of climax here before um, we see sort of the incredible nature of what God is going to do. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open to Ruth chapter 4, um, and we will look at those verses together. Before we do that, let's take a moment and let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, we don't take it lightly. We know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. God, you tell us that your word is living and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. That, God, it penetrates, even dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit. God, that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. That's what you say about your word. And, God, we pray that as we open it, you would speak directly to us. Lord, we realize that this is not just some random story or some guidebook for life but God it is your very truth spoken into our hearts and so God we pray that what you would do in us today is stir us into a relationship with you take a moment in your own heart and just ask God to maybe just teach you something new this morning some small truth about who he is take a moment and and pray for someone beside you Pray that God would move in them, that he would draw them to himself. Be in the habit of praying for other folks. Lord, we love you. We turn this entire morning over to you. Move in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So that for those of you that have been coming for a little while and been looking at the study with us, you'll, you'll recognize that we're not really treating the study of Ruth kind of like we would like a normal sermon or message with its kind of points and whatnot. It's more like a, just a study of God's word. We just kind of go through it and work through it together and lift out a few things that are significant. And so, you know, it's not the sort of little pretty hermeneutical picture that you get with, you know, three points and a poem and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's, uh, it's really just more like a study. And that's kind of how we're approaching it. And we're lifting the things out that we think God is speaking to our hearts. And this is really how chapter four begins, right? We've got this sort of uh, crisis that has to be averted. Uh, Boaz is in love with Ruth. Ruth is in love with Boaz. Boaz has desires to enter into this marriage, deep marriage covenant with Ruth. But there's another guy in the picture. And the other guy doesn't even know he's in the picture, but he's in the picture. And so Boaz has got, because he's a man of standing, he's got to rectify it. He's got to figure out a way around it. And this is what happens. Chapter 4, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went to the town gate, and he sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. And so he went over and sat down. And Boaz took ten of the elders of the town, and he said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these elders seated here. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day that you buy the land from Naomi... And from Ruth, the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead man with his property. All this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem, at this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal 
Um, and then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among the family um, from, or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing at Ephrathah like the house of Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you this young, through this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. All right, so a lot of stuff there. But this is kind of what's happening. So Boaz, the very next morning, he gets up and he goes to the town gate. The town gate is where they conducted business. It's where all legal transactions happened, all business transactions. In fact, all social relationships were finalized and made public at the town gate. And the reason for that was because not everybody lived within the town walls. All right, Bethlehem was like many other towns in the area, and the towns were walled off to keep out, you know, all kinds of uh, people and, you know, enemies and whatnot. And so not everybody could fit and live inside the town walls. So every morning when the gates were open, people would come in and out. They would take their sheep out. They would come in to do business. They would do whatever. Well, the town gate was a natural place where everyone would be coming and going. And so oftentimes the business, or all the time, business was conducted right there at the town gate. It was a big kind of hub of activity. Well, Boaz knows this, and he goes down there, and he waits at the town gate, and it just so happens that as he gets there a short while after, this unnamed kinsman redeemer, this other guy, this relative, this person that's closer in line, just happens to come by, right? Sort of reminds you of the way God sort of is at move through this entire story, when Ruth just happens to find herself in Boaz's field, and as she's working and gleaning, Boaz just happens to come by and see her, and, and, and you get the sense that God is at deep work, right? His sort of hand of providence is moving. Well, Boaz shows up at the town gate, and just so happens that this kinsman redeemer comes by and Boaz says my friend sit right here and he gathers up 10 elders right I don't know how many there are but there's probably enough um, you know maybe 20 or so and he gathers up a bunch of them and he says this is however many I need to make a legal decision I want you to have a seat and he gets all these people seated and he's almost ready to sort of present his case but if you pay really close attention there's something I think that's significant in here and it may not be that important but I think it's it's worth mentioning in a story where names are really important, and we've talked all about names. We've talked about Elimelech, the name that means my God and my king, and Malon and Kilion, whose names mean weakness and failing, and, and um, uh, Naomi, who name, whose name meant pleasant and lovely, and then she changed it to Mara, and Boaz, whose name means in him, God is strength. Our author makes sure that we know all these names and what they mean, and that names are important. Well, in this story where names are so important, the central character in chapter 4 remains unnamed. He's simply named the other or the kinsman redeemer or the closer kinsman redeemer, which essentially is saying Mr. So-and-so. And it's kind of significant in a story where names are really important that our author doesn't give this person a name. Essentially saying that next to Boaz, this man of standing, the other kinsman redeemer was really not even worth naming right? It's kind of what's happening. And so I find it significant because our author is painting this picture of Boaz being this man of character and a God-honoring, God-fearing man. And then this other guy who is actually legally more in line to redeem this situation isn't even worthy really to be named in our story, right? So Boaz takes this unnamed kinsman redeemer and he sits him down, he sits down these elders and he basically lays out his case. 
he says, now I know that you guys know about Naomi, right? She came back from Moab. We all knew that she left. We all knew that she returned. The entire town was talking about her return. Remember, Naomi declared, don't call me Naomi anymore. Change my name to Mara, which means bitter, because God's hand is against me. In the end of chapter 1, we see that the entire town was stirred. So everybody knew about Naomi. And they knew that she had left during the famine. She was the only family that we know of that left. Elimelech took his whole family. Everybody knew the story. Well, Boaz sits down, he looks at this unnamed kinsman redeemer, and he says, friend, listen, Naomi, right, who has returned from Moab along with Ruth the Moabitess, right, they have a piece of land, and they have to sell that piece of land, and you have the right to buy it. Now, this is the first that we really hear about Naomi having land, but apparently she had the piece of property that belonged to her husband Elimelech, right? And property was passed down from generation to generation. It was, it was an inheritance, all right? It was worth something. As long as you had property, your family was worth something because you were named in the town records. And those town records declared who owned which parcel of land. And that's how your family kind of kept a name for itself. But Naomi was living in stark and real poverty. And in a society and culture that was dominated by men. She had no husband and no sons, and she had a piece of land that she wasn't even allowed to do anything with, much less work. And so she's going to offer this land for sale, basically as kind of demonstrating her desperation financially. And so Boaz goes to this kinsman redeemer, and he says, you have the right, because you are first in line, to buy this piece of land from Naomi, from Elimelech, our brother, right? And he says, and you as a kinsman redeemer, first in line, have the right to do that. And today it is your right and no one else's right. And if you'll do it, do it now. And if you won't, tell me because then I'm next in line. So basically Boaz says, here's the true story is that you can buy this piece of land. But if you're not, just tell me because then I'm next, right? But he just sort of lays it all out there. Well, then if you stop reading, after this next verse, you sort of get this sense of panic where the kinsman redeemer, the the guy that nobody knows, who's not even worthy to be named, says, well, yeah, I'll I'll buy that land, I'll redeem it, because he's thinking, and who can blame him? I can add to my land holdings, right? I'll be able to add property and wealth to my name, and and it's a free piece of land. Well, i got to buy it, but basically there's not a whole lot attached to it, and I get a piece of land, and whatever. And he says, I'll do it. And Boaz says, okay, great, I'm really glad you said that because I want you to do it, but I forgot to tell you the whole story, right? The whole story is actually on the day that you purchase this land, you also get as a parting gift Naomi and the Moabitess Ruth, reminding this guy that, hey, she's not even from here, right? She's a Moabite. And you get the Moabitess Ruth, and as part of the process of taking this land, you are required, required to try and carry on the dead man's name, the family name, to redeem the name, which means you've got to take Ruth, right, the daughter-in-law, as your wife, and you have to have a son with her so that you can keep the family's name tied to the piece of land. Now, for us, that sounds crazy. But in that culture, in that time, it was, it was completely part of the historical way things worked. And it was a part of carrying on family lines, and family lines were so important. So all of a sudden, the story gets, well, it gets a little complicated. Because now, not only does this unnamed kinsman redeemer have the opportunity to buy, have to actually purchase with his money this piece of land, but then he also has to take care of the widow Naomi, and he has to marry and take care of Ruth, the Moabitess, who if he didn't know her character would be thinking, nobody likes the Moabites. Remember, they worshipped a false god named Chemosh, and no one wanted to be even engaged with them. And if he didn't know Ruth's character and how God had changed her heart, then she's just a foreigner. So not only do I have to take care of Naomi, 
this sort of getting elderly widow. I have to marry Ruth the Moabitess, and then I have to attempt to have children with her or hopefully have a son so that he can carry on this family's name with this piece of property. Well, when he hears all that, he goes, whoa, (laughs) I think I can't do that because it might endanger my own estate, right? Because then if I have children with this Moabitess, they'll have late, maybe they'll lay claim to my estate and my inheritance, and all of a sudden things got really complicated. Maybe he was already married, who knew? But something about this whole situation just didn't sit right. And, and so he says, I can't redeem. You, you, you redeem. You do it. And Boaz basically says, you, you know, you sure? He's like, no, I, I'm not, I don't want any part of that mess. That sounds like just a hot mess, and I don't want any part of it, right? And so as a way of sort of sealing transactions... Right, which is also really weird. One of the guys, well, the unnamed kinsman reaver removes his sandal and he gives it to the other guy, right? And this is how legal transactions were finalized, which is just weird. But here's why it worked is that basically you were saying, I give up my right to walk on the land I just gave you. Right? So he's basically saying, I am not gonna trespass on my on your property more because I only have one shoe. Right? I guess that's how it worked. But you know, and so I think it's a symbolic movement where then Boaz would return the shoe. If not, that's just really weird. And then you keep another guy's shoe, and he's got to go buy another sandals or whatever. And so, but that was the way legal kind of land transactions were happening. And so, in order to finalize it in front of everybody, the unnamed kinsman redeemer gives Boaz his sandal. Take my shoe. <clears throat> Thank you. I take your shoe. Hey, elders, are you catching this? We just exchanged. Well, he just gave me a shoe, which means I now own the property. And, it, and, they, and he says, are you witnesses? And they say, we're witnesses. And, and then Boaz gets really excited. And he kind of launches into the speech and he says, since I have purchased his property today, you've seen me, we've changed shoes and I've got a sandal. Because of that, today I own the land. And on this day, I'm taking Ruth the Moabitess as my wife. And he goes, and I will carry on her family name. I will make sure that Elimelech's family name will stay in the town records forever. Right? And he kind of goes in this sort of speech about all this. And he says, you're witnesses. And, and the elders say, we're witnesses. And not only are we witnesses, but we pray blessing upon you. And we pray that this woman who you're bringing into your house will be like Rachel and Leah. And Rachel and Leah were the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're basically saying, look, we don't care that she's a Moabite. God has blessed her. And we pray blessing upon her as our sister in faith. And he says, may your house be like that of, of Perez. And Perez was a relative of Boaz. He was actually a, a relative of all those that lived in Bethlehem. And God had used his offspring to bring about incredible blessing to Bethlehem. And basically they're saying, listen, may your offspring, may the, may the children that you have with this Ruth, may they bless generations and generations and generations. And we know this to be true because Boaz is in the, in the lineage, in the line, as we're going to see next week, of Jesus himself. And Ruth is sort of the great-grandmother of David, and then so on the line begins to lead us to the Messiah, to the Redeemer. And next week, what we're going to explore is we're going to explore these real deep gospel connections that make up this story. But as sort of a way of kind of glancing at it this morning, I want you to see just a couple of things. I want you to see a couple of connections between, between Boaz and between Jesus, the ultimate Redeemer. All right, because I think this story is, and I've been telling you, is dripping with gospel truth. In fact, we've made mention of this every week that we've talked about it, and that is Charles Spurgeon actually calls Bo- uh, Jesus our glorious Boaz, meaning the sort of perfect Boaz, perfect redeemer. There's a lot of things that these kind of redeemers have in common. And the first is kind of steeped in desire. Boaz had a deep desire to redeem Ruth. He didn't have to. He was under zero obligation, right? 
He didn't have to do it. It wasn't even, didn't even fall on his responsibility. It actually fell to someone else. But Boaz had a deep desire to do that, and he wasn't obligated, and it wasn't something he owed Ruth or he owed Naomi. Jesus has had this deep desire to redeem you and I. He was under no obligation. It wasn't a guilt, but it was a, a movement, a volunteer movement to give his life to purchase you and I out of slavery, out of bondage, out of sin, and out of death. And that's important because it's important to know that it was God's desire to redeem your life. That it was the deep move of the Redeemer and not some sort of guilt, well, I feel bad for creation and so I need to do something to help them out. It was out of a deep desire and longing to redeem you, the same way that Boaz longed to redeem Ruth. We see this redemption, this connection between Jesus and Boaz steeped in love as well. Boaz loved Ruth. If you can't read this story and not see this sort of deep love that Boaz has for her, it's a love story. You get that kind of weird sense when they're laying on the threshing floor and, and she says, cover me with your wings. And he says, I will do this, meaning I will enter into this covenant with you and I will protect you and I will fight for you and I will be your protector and your provider because I love you. Right? And then he goes to all this trouble. And it was a great cost. Land was expensive. And so Boaz had to purchase with a price right, this piece of land from Naomi. And with it, he was able to purchase Ruth, redeem her. You know, the same, same thing happened when Christ purchased you and I. It was out of his great love that he bought us with a price. Paul explains it clearly when he says, you were purchased with a price. You were bought out of the bondage of slavery and death. That through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, you were purchased. And it was with great cost and with great joy. Oftentimes we forget that, you know, this is something that we were purchased out of. That we were all enslaved by our sin. But through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, we have been bought out of slavery. That purchased with the life of Christ, we have been redeemed. Right? It wasn't a favor. It was a purchase. Boaz purchased Ruth and redeemed her life. And Jesus purchased you and I with his very own blood and his very own life. We see his desire, his longing, we see his love, but we also see his work. Boaz had to do all the work to purchase and redeem Ruth. All she could do was sit there and receive what Boaz was doing in faith. If Boaz decided not to do it, there was nothing Ruth could do to earn her own redemption. No amount of pleading, no amount of working, it wasn't going to happen. It had to be done by the Redeemer. Jesus did all the work. There is nothing that you and I can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to work our way to get closer to God, to say, God, look at my pretty life. I've sewn this whole thing back up together, and I've shown up at church for five weeks in a row, and I'm kind of picking the pieces up. Now look at me, and, and please give me your approval. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's love. God has already done all the work. And it was only his work to do. And that through Christ alone, we have the opportunity for salvation. And all we can do is receive that through faith, the gift of faith. This story is a story of incredible gospel truth. It's a story of incredible redemption. It's a foreshadow of all that Christ would do. So often we look at the Old Testament and we think antiquated stories, things I don't understand. The Old and New Testament is God's complete redemptive work for humanity. It's God's incredible love story laid out from the beginning of the creation of the world 
sewing together his plan to redeem creation through the life and blood and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ruth is not an isolated story. It's God's love movement for you and I. It's a picture of what was to come. That Boaz would ultimately be in the lineage of the Messiah himself. That would come and die to redeem you and I. When we take this meal together, when we share in communion together, what we're proclaiming is something that God has done and had planned to do before time began. That God's redemptive plan was part of Boaz and Ruth's story. That this meal is not something we do as a habit on a Sunday morning where we say, hey, once a month we get together and we do communion as a way of just sort of doing churchy things. The reality is that this meal is steeped in gospel truth the way that the story of Ruth and Boaz is steeped in redemption. This is a reminder of all that God has done for us through Christ. That he has purchased us with a price, the price of his body and blood. That he freely, out of his desire, gave up. And out of his deep love for us, that he did the work so that we could receive that in faith. In fact, this table is the story of Ruth. It's the story of Boaz. It's the story of redemption. Let's not approach it lightly. Let's take seriously to what God has done in us, through us, and for us. Because when we look closely at that story... We see more than just a picture of someone redeemed. We find our place in the story of redemption. On the very night that Jesus gathered with his disciples, after washing their feet, and after talking to them about how he would have to go from them, he takes a loaf of bread and he said, this bread, and after giving thanks, he took a loaf of bread and said, this bread is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, This cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant. That when we take of this bread and this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. This is the story of redemption. This is the story of Ruth. This is the story of Scripture. That through Jesus' deep desire, through his deep love, And his work alone, we have been bought with a price, redeemed. As we take communion this morning, we'll be taking it by means of intinction, which is a super fancy word for just saying, as you come forward, take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. We'll have stations in the front and the back, and we invite you just as Don, the band, lead us in worship to, to just seek the Lord. Paul tells us that as we go to take part in this meal, we shouldn't do it lightly. But we should investigate our hearts, making sure that we are right as we approach God. We were purchased and we were bought. And this is the story of redemption. I invite our servers to come forward this morning.